And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. It's been quite some time since I have given you all a new podcast. I want to thank you all for your patience. Had a lot of stuff going on, was traveling a bit, visiting family in other states, uh, was battling gout. Um, if you never had gout, consider yourself very lucky it's not fun. Still battling through it a little bit. Uh, on some medication right now, we're doing okay with it. But um, anybody that has ever suffered with turf toe or any other type of foot injury, I now... I It's obviously not the same, but I understand how difficult it must have been to play through that injury or any other ailment someone has had in their foot so my respect for anybody that has played through those type of injuries has immensely skyrocketed i'm doing this podcast this week specifically because it's the super bowl this week and you can't not talk about the biggest game of the nfl season and what would be really should be considered the biggest game in professional sports all year, so can't not talk about that. Going to look at that, um, give you some picks and breakdown of how I think the game is going to go. Ultimately, pick a winner, and then obviously need to talk about the ludicrous, the insanely weird prop bets that are always surrounding the Super Bowl and talk and those as well we also have a mail sack uh, segment that i want to beforehand thank everyone who sent their questions in um kind of short notice out of the blue that i was going to do a sack this week and people came through with questions so i thank them for that and then going to talk a little college basketball and unfortunately another big reason for this week's episode um over the past weekend was the passing of Kobe Bryant going to talk a little bit about that at the end and go through and rank in my very humble opinion his five greatest moments um, in his career so we have all that coming on episode 68 of Carson Sack podcast so it feels good to be back um Certain circumstances dictated this happening, so some better than others, but I hope you enjoy episode 68 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Now, let's get into the mail sack. The first question we have on this week's mail sack comes from Shelby Garrett, who sent in three, so thank you for the multiple questions, Shelby. The first one, would you rather eat a full thing of toothpaste or drink a full thing of mouthwash? When I first read this question, my immediate gut reaction was, oh, let's just eat the toothpaste. Then I sat and thought about it for a while, and the consistency of trying to have to eat the toothpaste and 
just how that would feel in my mouth. I don't think I would like it. Um, so I'm not going to do the toothpaste. Upon further review, I'm going to go with drinking the mouthwash. And I'm assuming she's going to let me have a chaser of some sort. So hopefully I can chase it enough and be able to stomach the mouthwash. I'm pretty confident though, you're not supposed to drink or eat toothpaste. So I don't know what she's trying to get at here. But let's just cool our jets here. Alright. Next question, Shelby Garrett asks, hot dogs or bratwurst? It is, to me, so much easier to get a hot dog than a bratwurst. But ultimately, at the end of the day, bratwurst are much better than hot dogs. And I get, you know, you can just go to the store and probably get bratwurst. They're right next to hot dogs. And I get, you go to games and you can just go to a different concession stand that has bratwurst or there's probably a little stand dedicated all to bratwurst rather than just going to the regular concession stand for a beer or a soda or something and the hot dog already being there but it just seems like you got to go a little bit further out of your way to get a bratwurst rather than a hot dog so convenience wise hot dog is the answer but my preference will always be uh bratwurst and just bratwurst fun fact um what I like to do, get a bun, toast it a little bit, then you lay down a bed of chopped onions, put the bratwurst on, and then I put ketchup on it. I know people, some people like to throw some sauerkraut, some brown mustard, that's just not my style, not a big brown mustard guy, uh, but ultimately bratwurst over hot dog. Shelby Garrett's last question, who is a better basketball player, Steph Curry or Kyrie Irvin? A much younger me, a much more... Um, much less, excuse me, mature Carson would have easily said Kyrie Irving uh, just because my hatred for the Warriors was really driven by my hatred for Steph Curry. But you look at the way Steph Curry has revolutionized the way the game of basketball is being played and thought of and how many people, especially kids, want his jersey, look up to him, wear his shoes, and how he is really influencing the game of basketball for the younger age kids, them wanting to be a shooter and whatnot. And then you look at their on-court accomplishments, um, Steph Curry being one of, if not the best, shooters ever in the NBA, and then Kyrie Irving having some of, if not the best, handles in the NBA ever. Um, so you have those right there, but to me... I think people are sort of now seeing Kyrie Irving as sort of a dickhead. The way he's acted in Brooklyn has been quite outlandish and pretty smug, if you ask me, the way he's called out his teammates and a couple other of his actions. So, again, a younger me, a very less mature me would have said Kyrie Irving hands down, but a more refined basketball viewer that I am now at the age of 23 easily says Steph Curry. Next question we have comes from Jack Muldoon, who asks, Thoughts on the start of your coaching career at the YMCA? For those of you not aware or privy to the situation, since last fall I've been refing and helping supervise practices for the YMCA, also coaching a little bit at the YMCA. My team this year of four- and five-year-old boys and girls happens to be 2-0, two and two pretty... I hesitate to say, dominant victories in our first two games. Um, but ultimately, you got to look at it and just find ways to improve. Uh, I would be doing a disservice to these kids if I wasn't trying to get them better every practice 
Um, and that's just not something that I was hired to do by the YMCA. I was trying, I was hired to teach these kids basketball uh, and motivate them to learn about the game and spark and grow their interest in the game. Uh, these kids are a ball of energy, so frantic, um, pretty, pretty difficult to work with sometimes if we're being honest. They don't listen very well. Um, they don't dribble the ball that great. Their passes, not super crisp. Uh, their shots, errant half the time, but by gosh, I, they just brighten my day every time I get to see them. And I, I think it was the great Urban Meyer who said, the best thing about being 2-0 is the opportunity and the chance to be 3-0. Uh, and I, I'm trying to instill that on these youngins, that it's all about the opportunity. Whether it's you're getting to play 10 minutes, 20 minutes, we only play 24 minutes, so if you're paying 10 minutes, 20 minutes, do whatever you can the most to get out, do whatever you can to get the most out of the opportunities I'm giving you, and continue to get better every day, because if you're not, you're getting worse, um, I don't want to take any credit for any of this. Ultimately, I'm just a guy on the sidelines. They're the ones on the court playing. So I want to give a shout-out to my four- and five-year-olds that are out there making me proud as to be called their coach. The next set of questions, the last set of questions, comes from frequent asker, a friend of the program, Polly Marino, who starts off with, do you think Tom Brady is going to be watching the Super Bowl? If so... How is he feeling, and where is he watching? Yeah, Tom Brady is going to watch the Super Bowl, duh. Um, he's probably going to be on vacation, probably somewhere on a beach, or if he's not, he's going to be in his new house that he moved to since he moved and sold his New England one. Uh, duh. Uh, he's probably going to be feeling pretty shitty, if we're being honest, because um, he's not in the game. Then Polly asks, why haven't I heard of baseball lately? Um because you don't have a TV, Polly, and you don't follow anybody that really probably talks about baseball. Um, I'm going to keep this extremely minimal because this does tie into a subject that has been going around lately. Uh, the cheating scandal, uh, the sign-stealing scandal that the Astros have been caught and involved in from 2017. My only big issue with how everything's going is the Astro players don't really seem sorry. They're... Owner and GM and everything had to come out and say, oh, they're going to apologize at spring training, which they should have already fucking done that. And then you see Hinch and you see all these other guys getting fired. Beltran being fired from the Mets, not even on the team anymore. And then the MLB does nothing to reprimand and discipline the players. Um, What the Astros did is cheating. What players that get caught taking HGH and performance-enhancing drugs, is what they're doing is cheating. The MLB fines and suspends those players that get caught using those drugs. Um, but they did not do anything of the sorts for the Astros players. So what the MLB message is sending is, it's okay if you cheat this way, stealing signs in a very complex ordeal, but if you take a drug... That cheating-wise, then you get punished. And with the whole um, Hall of Fame with baseball, the votes happening um, within the last couple weeks, and the steroid users still not getting in, getting a bit of improvements in their voting and their percentages, um, obviously it's going to take time to tell, but I'm 
I'm not hoping, but I would like to see some accountability that later on down the line, if their careers do continue going in that path um, for Altuve and all these other guys that were part of the cheating scandal, that when it comes time to vote for them into the Hall of Fame of baseball, there's that same level of reverence and importance put on that, hey, these guys cheated just like the way that level of importance is put on Bonds and Clemens and all those guys of and Sammy Sosa, like, hey, those guys cheated too, and none of them are in the Hall of Fame. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not saying Altuve and all these other guys shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because right now their careers don't even warrant them to be on the ballot, but there needs to be some accountability held to those guys those players that did that, and right now the MLB has failed miserably in doing that. All right, next, Polly Marino continues to ask, are they going to choke in the Super Bowl, which prompted me to ask, who, who is they? And then she refined her question and said, if anyone were to choke, who would it be? I think the popular answer here is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, just because ever since he threw that interception against the Vikings in the divisional round of the playoffs, there's been this sort of ref- different game plan that Shanahan has really used where he's not really asking Garoppolo to win the game for him. He's just kind of asking him not to lose it. So I think that's where most people's answers would go. I could, I'm going to present two others. I think Andy Reid. At times, in big moments, big games, the moment has become too much for him, and he's made a few questionable decisions, whether it's clock management, timeout management, play calling. At times, that has happened. So I think that's one area to look at. And then I think another player that it's hard to classify and say what is choking by this position, but Richard Sherman, at cornerback, um, being tasked with having to guard what is a trio of really good wide receivers in Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, and Miko Hardman. Um, with how cocky or confident, whichever one you want to choose to describe Richard Sherman, um, with a big play is made on him, it is known, hey, that receiver made that big play while being guarded by Richard Sherman. If things like that continuously happen to Richard Sherman this game, which I'm almost pretty confident he's not going to be put on Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill is way too fast for him. But Richard Sherman's length and physicality could pose some issue for Tyreek Hill, but I think ultimately Hill's speed wins out in that matchup probably eight to nine times out of ten. So I think they're going to put him on other guys like a Watkins. I could definitely see Watkins and Sherman having the matchup all game. Or Mecole just to maybe have the veteran like Sherman be able to, air quotes, shut down Mecole Hardman and take away one of the many weapons Patrick Mahomes has. But if continuous big plays and chunk plays are happening on Richard Sherman, um, that is... To me, you could classify that as choking because of how much attention and everything he draws to himself. So I think that is a guy that needs to be talked about more as the possibility of choking. 
Then Palomino asks, is it worth talking to guys in the NBA that slide in your DMs that aren't on the real team but still have a blue check mark? She is referencing G League players because a certain G League player for the Los Angeles Clippers G League team slid into her DMs. Yeah, Polly, you might as well entertain it because that guy has one 10-day contract and one semi- Good performance away from signing a real NBA contract, a guaranteed contract. And then guess what? You're dating an NBA player. So you might as well entertain it. Polymer Marino also asked, what's the dumbest sport? NASCAR. They're just driving. Um, and then Polly wraps up her questions with, what's the most popular Super Bowl dish? I think over the last five, eight years... Uh, Buffalo Chicken Dip has skyrocketed to the top of every um, events, every party, everything like that as the dish you have to have. People pretty much with the attitude of, there's not Buffalo Chicken Dip there, I'm not fucking going. Every shop book I went to in college, that was the highlight. Well, not everyone, and that wasn't the specific highlight. But I, you could find me in the kitchen around the Buffalo Chicken Dip at pretty much... Every shop book I went to for about 30 minutes because I just like Buffalo Chicken Dip that much. Um, I'm also a big fan still of the spinach artichoke dip. You're not going to go wrong with some chips and queso, pigs in a blanket, chicken wings, uh, all that stuff. Those are all good, but I think if you're going to sit down and say what is the best Super Bowl dish, you got to go with Buffalo Chicken Dip. Now, I will say a couple things here. I do not like when the buffalo chicken dip is runny, and I don't like when it's too hot. A, a little zest, sure, no problem, but I don't want to punish my taste buds. They didn't do anything wrong. I don't need it to be too hot. Also, I would love to see somebody innovate the buffalo chicken dip. Put blue cheese in substitute for the ranch in there. I know blue cheese isn't as widely loved as ranch, but let's just try it out one time. Also, a little snack tip, a little snack hack, if you will. Take, if there is at your party... One of the pigs in a blanket and dip it in the buffalo chicken dip. It is revolutionary, will blow your mind. Also, if there are rolls or bread at your party uh, for the Super Bowl or event, make a little slider out of the buffalo chicken dip and the roll. That's extremely good too. People are going to look at you and think, oh, he's taking way too much buffalo chicken dip. You're really not because you're probably going to dip more and use more for scooping rather than you would for your little slider. That does it for the mail sack on this week's episode. It'll continue to be back with the more episodes I make. Um, as always, I thank everyone that sent in a question. Your support, the way it, the support you show by sending in your questions means a whole, whole lot to me. Um, thank you so much. And it's just a fun way to hear from my, again, I put this in air quotes, fans, more friends than fans, honestly, uh, to be involved in my podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. And that wraps up this edition of the Mail Sack on Carson Sack Podcast. Moving on from the Mail Sack now, we're going to shift focus entirely and talk about the Super Bowl. Both of these teams that got into the Super Bowl, the Chiefs from the AFC, the 49ers from the NFC, I want to talk a little bit about. The Chiefs, Going back to last year and once the emergence of Patrick Mahomes um, happened, it was sort of a question of when, not if, would the Chiefs make a Super Bowl. Um, the way Patrick Mahomes and that offense has clicked his two years under center has been something 
Um, I think we need to appreciate and are going to appreciate more once he is done playing the game. And this is, I understand this is only the second year, but he is generational what he can do. Um, on the opposite side of the field, the 49ers going from where they were at last year with Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt with his leg injury to finding themselves as the second pick. Um, what they do draft Nick Bosa, arguably one of the better rookie seasons by a defensive end in recent memory. Um, his brother, Joey, coming out of Ohio State as well, had a great rookie season as a defensive end. Um, the way that team has built its front seven uh, through the draft, free agency, and then hiring Kyle Shanahan from the Falcons and the way he has crafted that offense with guys like Debo Samuel, guys like Morset. Um, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, who by all accounts was the heir apparent to Tom Brady, but believing in a system and having each week these new little wrinkles in his offense that just make things go. It's very impressive to see. And then, as I mentioned, the defensive side of the ball with the front seven, um, adding Richard Sherman in free agency and him betting on himself and their defensive coach, how animated and exciting he is. It's really a big thing of Patrick Mahomes and that offense against the 49ers and that defense and whichever team's opposite end of the field, um, opposite side of the ball, if the 49ers offense, who is nothing to scoff at, really, um, can show up, which it has proven it can do, and the Chiefs defense, which if it shows up, which it proved um, in the AFC Championship game, shutting down Derrick Henry, whichever one of those units shows up, I obviously think that team has the heavy lean and should be the favorite. I'm going to get more into a breakdown of what I think is going to happen after this little segment on the prop bets because it is a big thing um, each year for the Super Bowl prop bets. You have people that never really watch football and just want to be involved, and it's a fun way to do that. So what I'd like to do is go through here. I have about 10 prop bets, I believe. Nope, I got a lot more than 10. Um, 25. What I'd like to do is in some way have a accountability factor here. Uh, 25 of them, I need to get 13 right to be um, right, I guess, and there be a little punishment that I can put out on Instagram, Twitter, or something. I'll have a vote for that, I guess, on Twitter or Instagram, one of the two, and we'll see what actually does happen. So, excuse me. Just a way to be held accountable so I'm not just talking out of my ass here. So, let's look at the first one. What would be the total time for Demi Lovato's national anthem? Over or under 120.5 seconds. So that's two That's two minutes. I am going to go... Oh, boy. Let's go with under. We're going to go with the under on that. 
the next prop bet, what will be the outcome of the coin toss? Gotta go with heads here. It just seems to me heads is gonna win. What will be the first play of the game? I went with a pass or a sack over the run. Will there be a score on the first drive of the game? No, absolutely not. Which team will score first? That's going to be Kansas City. And the follow-up question is, what will the first score of the game be? It's going to be a touchdown. Will the game be tied after 0-0? Yes, it will. I'm thinking 7-7 and then 10-10. What will be the first accepted penalty of the game? False start or offsides. It's the Super Bowl. There's going to be a lot of emotions, um, jittery. It's not like a regular game. So I go with... Um, the false start what will be the first turnover of the game interception what team will a team score in the final two minutes of the first half yes absolutely over under two and a half players attempt to pass I went over on this I think it's going to be Emmanuel Sanders because he's shown before um, Kyle Shanahan likes to do some trickery and Emmanuel Sanders is a perfect guy for that because he has thrown multiple passes in the NFL already will there be an onside kick or fake field goal punt attempted i said no but i could easily see a fake punt being run at some point in this game but ultimately i went with no will a defensive or special teams touchdown be scored no will any scoring drive take less time than the national anthem no it will not um, I'm two minutes it's gonna the national anthem is gonna be under two minutes i don't foresee something like that happening um which will be the highest scoring quarter? I said the third. The halftime adjustments are going to be pivotal in this game, I think. Who will have more receiving yards? Uh, who will have more passing yards? Garoppolo or Patrick Mahomes? Mahomes is minus 100 and a half. Um, so he's given up 100 and a half. So it's saying he's got to double up. Uh, what's his face? Jimmy Garoppolo. I still think Patrick Mahomes. Who will have more yards from scrimmage, Morset or Williams, the running backs for um, both teams? I'm going to go with Morset, Mostert, excuse me. I say his name wrong all the time. It's Mostert. Uh, who will have more receiving yards, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey? I just think Kelsey, because he's more of a big play guy, Kittle is a more reliable guy, but... I think Mahomes looks for Kelsey more than Garoppolo looks for Kittle. Who's going to have more sacks, Nick Bosa or Clark for the Chiefs? I went with Nick Bosa. What is going to be greater, the total sacks in the game or total touchdown passes? I went with the total touchdown passes. And then I'm not going to spoil it because it asks which team will win Super Bowl 54. I'm going to put out this entire card with my picks. You'll see that there, and you'll hear my pick at the end of the Super Bowl segment. But until then, just give it some time. The over-under for points scored in the game is 53.5 going over. What color will be dumped on the winning coach? I'm going with orange. Rumor has it Nick Bosa and George Kittle really like orange. That's a little inside information. I don't want to give that up too much, but it, it's there. Um, and then there were a ton of different prop bets that I saw for the Super Bowl. Like, will cleavage, cleavage be shown? Will there be a, um, what's it called? A wardrobe malfunction? All this other stuff. Just ridiculous stuff. A fun stuff that gets people involved in the Super Bowl in the biggest game of the year. So it's... Fun stuff like that. There's also a question of who's going to be um, the Super Bowl MVP. 
I'll talk about that again with who I predict is going to win the game uh, after I wrap up this segment on the prop bets, which is going to come to an end right now. Okay, now let's get a little bit more serious and talk about the Super Bowl from a analyst perspective. The I said it before, whichever team's secondary unit, such as the Chiefs defense or the 49ers offense, which isn't bad by any means, but is the weaker of the two, shows up is going to be, I think, the winner of the game. I the big thing, my gut, like, first instinct reaction after the Chiefs won and the 49ers won and people asked me how I thought the game was going to go, my initial reaction was the Chiefs did a great job stopping Derrick Henry, but you look at the way Derrick Henry and that offense really ran him and ran the ball. It was, we're going to run right at you, you're going to load the box, and Derrick Henry is just too big, he's better than what y'all have going, and he's going to run over you and run around you and make a couple people miss if he needs to, but really be a big physical back. Um, by no means is that easy to stop because I, it's we saw Derrick Henry almost had the Titans in the Super Bowl, not single-handedly, but carried them a great deal of the way. On the other hand, and we saw expertly done in the NFC Championship game with Mostert after Coleman went out. Um, The way the 49ers do the run game on offense is so much more intricate and complex, I want to say, than what the Titans did and do. Um, It's a lot more like, hey, look over here, the ball's going this way. Oh, no. It's going the other way. And then there's a big hole and there's an opening and the defense is on already pursued too hard to where they thought the ball was going to go. And there's numbers for the 49ers on that opposite side where the ball is actually going. And Kyle Shanahan is just so good at developing plays like that where I said the opposite way, the Titans and the way the Chiefs were able to stop it, just being physical. Um, I think that's going to be so, uh, so underrated and hopefully talked about way that Shanahan is able to draw up and get guys just in the right position um, to succeed, especially in the run game, um, how creative he is with his play calling. Um, if he can do that and continue to do that, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be able to stop the run game which in turn makes the play action more available and it doesn't force Jimmy Garoppolo to have to go out and duel and keep up with Patrick Mahomes because that's not going to happen. Jimmy Garoppolo can go out there and have a very good game. Um, Can go out there and put up big numbers if needed, but ultimately we've seen, as I mentioned before, since that Vikings interception that he had, Shanahan hasn't asked him to do that. And I understand that um, with the other strengths this team has, you don't have to ask Garoppolo to do that. If there is a point in this game where Garoppolo has to go make big throws and lead a drive, he's more than capable of doing that. He is a good quarterback. Just the last couple weeks and sort of at the end of the year, he hasn't had to show it nearly as much as before. Um, Another big thing I like about the 49ers in this game is 
um, since week 12, or I want to say their last seven opponents, have all been teams with winning records. So tough, good teams, tough competition. Um, That's important because they're not playing cupcakes. They're not playing easy layup games. They didn't take weeks off. Going to the Seattle game late in the year where they had to get the win in Seattle or they were going to go from the two seed all the way to the five seed. That was as close as you could come to a playoff game without it actually being a playoff game. And they showed up and they played in a very hostile environment. I'm not comparing the situation or that game to the Super Bowl, but a very important game like that late in the year that shows you what this team is made of. When their back was against the rope, Russell Wilson was driving. They faced some adversity, and the defense stepped up, stopped the receiver at the goal line to win that game and secure the two seed. Um, On the opposite side of the ball in the field for the Chiefs, the offense... I've said before, prolific. What Patrick Mahomes is able to do and what those receivers, I think, are going to be able to do against the 49ers secondary if given the time um, because of the pass rush being slowed down by the Chiefs O-line of the 49ers um, will be key. Patrick Mahomes is so good at scrambling and keeping his eyes downfield and showed in that Titans game that He's not afraid to run the ball, which is a new wrinkle that I hope Andy Reid can develop a little bit more and help use that and have to keep the 49ers defense honest a little bit so they can't just key in on a read option type thing and know it's going directly to Debian Williams or anything like that. How Andy Reid uses the running backs out of the backfield, I think, is going to be very important. Trying to establish a run game or at least a screen game or something to complement Patrick Mahomes so the 49ers D-line can't just pin their ears back every play and go after him, which they've shown if given that opportunity, they're one of, if not the best units in all the football of doing that. That's going to be important. A big thing that I really love every year, and you can go back, not really much last year because the offense um, was deprived in that game severely last year, but you go back and look at the Eagles and the Patriots, or you look at just games like that in the Super Bowl where players, these coaches are going to find players that do something very well Um and exploit that against the weakness of the other team. And like Moser did against the Packers, a player might come out of nowhere and have a big game and be a real feel-good story. And that's exciting to see, and it's also exciting to see from a coaching standpoint of how these two extremely offensive-minded and extremely revered offensive minds in football right now Andy Reid obviously a little more established and whatnot but Kyle Shanahan quickly becoming one of the best offensive minds in the NFL how they're going to be able to find a guy like a Mostert or a LaShawn McCoy maybe or a Miko Hardman going up against Richard Sherman or Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or something like that a player that they're going to be able to find that matchup and just exploit that matchup for the benefit of their team and uh, on, even on the defensive side of the ball finding a different scheme that maybe they've not seen or a blitz or a package or something like that it's as a football fan and somebody that 
he's an, I'm not super into the X's and O's of football, but I can appreciate when it's shown and explained and everything. That's always something exciting to see the new wrinkles the coaches put in. So I'm looking forward to not only the game, but the game within the game, if you will, about that. So coming down to it, my, I guess if you want to say keys, the 49ers have to get off the field on third down. They cannot have Patrick Mahomes extend drives in obvious passing situations um, where they're able to get pressure on him. He's scrambling around, and then he throws a back-breaking completion for a first down. you got to get off the field. Both teams need to be able to find a way to establish the run and help their quarterbacks out and not, I mean, Obviously, Patrick Mahomes can go out and just do everything on his own. He's shown that, but it's going to make things a lot easier for both these quarterbacks if there can be a run game established for both of them. In the end, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo and the rest of that offense is getting short-sighted and not getting enough respect, and I think he is going to have a good enough day along with the 49ers defense because historically, if you look, and I know it's super cliche, but the saying defense wins championships is true. You can look back, um, no case is more evident of that than uh, Super Bowl uh, 50 with the Broncos and the Panthers. That defense for the Broncos that they had going up against the MVP and Cam Newton that year. That defense of the Broncos was really good with Von Miller and the rest of those guys. They were able to shut him down, win that game. Another game, including the Broncos, when they had Peyton Manning his first year there, and they go up against a Legion of Boom in Seattle, and that whole defense, and Seattle was just able to dominate the ball. It's a cliche, but it's true. Defense does win championships, and I think the defense of the 49ers is overwhelmingly better than the defense as a whole of the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a lot of good players on defense. Tyron Matthew and Clark, Frank Clark, I like both of them. I love Honey Badger. Um, a big reason I'm rooting, I want the Chiefs to win, is so Honey Badger can get his ring. He was one of my favorite players in college at LSU when he was on the Cardinals, the Texans, and now the Chiefs. I will always root for Tyron Matthew. But I think the unit as a whole, the defensive side of the ball for the 49ers is better, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo and the rest of that offense with Shanahan and the play calling he's going to have to try and make up for the 28-3 blown lead, and I get there is a bit of a revenge factor for Andy Reid. Can he win the big one? Didn't win it in uh, Philadelphia with the Eagles and all the other shortcomings he's had. There's going to be those added motivations for the 49ers and the Chiefs for their head coaches to do that and get over that hump. But ultimately, I think the better game plan on offense is going to be devised by Kyle Shanahan. And I think the 49ers defense makes enough plays along with Jimmy Garoppolo. So, final score I have the 49ers 32. And then I have mm, 32. That's fucking weird. No, 32. We'll go 32. I don't know why I said it, but 32 is what came out. So I said 32. And then the Chiefs, 28, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo is your MVP of Super Bowl 54. I think George Kittle is going to have a big day, but ultimately, if you look at those two, um, Kittle's going to be getting the ball from Garoppolo, 
and you're going to give the MVP trophy to the quarterback over the tight end any day of the week. So just Garoppolo is your MVP, 32-28, 49ers. We now shift our focus from the Super Bowl to college basketball. And again, took some time off. A lot has happened. Bear with me here. But we look at the games on Wednesday night. Vanderbilt goes to Kentucky. The emergence for Kentucky, the emergence of Nick Richards, Emmanuel quickly, how he has been such a sharpshooter from three, the progression of Ashton Hagens, um, those three guys right there um, are propelling Kentucky right now to, they're looking, they're coming into form, especially after the big win at Texas Tech, they're looking like what people thought they were going to look like at the start of the year. Um, and then you add Maxi. You get some production from EJ Montgomery, um, Sinista off the bench as well. Uh, Johnny Juzang has looked and gotten some opportunities as well. He's looked good in those. Keon Brooks is rounding out as well, coming into his own role. They lose Khalil Whitney, which I was pretty upset about because I really like him as a player, but just wasn't finding his role on the team. So Kentucky probably going to beat Vanderbilt and and shaping coming into what people thought they were going to be at the start of the year. Dayton goes to Duquesne on Wednesday. Uh, Duquesne 15-4 on the year. Dayton 7th in the country. Huge player with Obi Toppin they have there. Um, I'm not putting them on upset watch, but this game is going to be closer than what people expect, so just watch out for that. Um, continuing on, the slate of games there. San Diego State undefeated, the only undefeated team left in the country, sitting at four in the country, 21-0. They go to New Mexico, who's 16-6 and on the year. Uh, just, again, don't think they're going to lose, but going to be closer than expected. Louisville goes to Boston College. Louisville's going to win that game. Thursday, Minnesota goes to Illinois. Illinois sitting atop the Big Ten standings right now. A bit of a surprise. Um, I think Illinois does end up winning that. Another Big Ten matchup. That night, you have Iowa, 18th in the country, going to Maryland. I think Maryland at home is going to be able to get the victory there. Friday, there are not any top 25 games, so we're going to skip that. Saturday, Kentucky goes to Auburn. Auburn with um, Daughtry, their leading scorer, 14.6, and then Wiley, 9.2 rebounds a game. Um I think the Cats do end up losing this one. I think going to Auburn is a tough task, um, a very raucous environment, and Auburn is a good team. Um, I just I think Auburn beats Kentucky. I, there's my opinion. Next, you have Louisville going to NC State this Saturday. Going to be closer than people expect. North Carolina State coming off the loss to North Carolina last night. Um, expect a very hostile environment in North Carolina State, but ultimately Louisville does end up getting the victory. Let's see. Continuing on, Texas Tech goes to Kansas. That's going to be a very good game on Saturday. Um, at Kansas, though, so I do expect Kansas to end up getting the win. Move to No, nothing there. Okay. Moving on, Wednesday, well, Wednesday, I forgot about this game, and I 
shouldn't have because it's going to probably be the game of the day. West Virginia, 12th in the country, goes to Texas. This is Wednesday, mind you. Texas Tech is going to win that game. Um, expect them to rebound after the loss to UK last Saturday. And then Sunday, you have Illinois going to Iowa. I think Iowa wins that game. Being at Iowa is going to help a lot. And then next Tuesday, there, uh, Penn State goes to Michigan State. Michigan State's going to win that. And then Mississippi State goes to Kentucky. Kentucky will probably win that in a very close game. Rutgers, the surprise out of the Big Ten, goes to Maryland. A close game, but ultimately Maryland is going to end up winning that. And then Auburn goes to Arkansas. Auburn coming off the win. Um, if it is correct, against Kentucky goes to Arkansas. Arkansas gets a big win against Auburn in the SEC. Um as a whole, right now, college basketball, just to talk about this, uh, Baylor, number one in the country. There's honestly just, there are, oh boy, there's just not a great team. And it's frustrating, and there it's nice to see some parity, but I wish there was just a standout team. Teams near the top of the rankings have shown instances and flashes and stretches of games that it's like, wow, this is the best team. Baylor right now is doing that. Duke at the start of the year did that. UK did that. For a period of time, Ohio State was rising up there. Gonzaga did that as well at times. Michigan for a point. Louisville at a point, and then they started playing tough competition, and they lost, and Jordan Orr sort of... Not really showing up in big games. Whatever. It's an unnecessary shot. I apologize. But I wish there was. I get parity is nice in college basketball. Not having one great team. But I wish there was a great team. Just so it would be a little bit more obvious. Of who's really going to win uh, the NCAA tournament. When it does come time to happening. Okay. That does it for the easy part of this episode of Carson Sack. We now get to a very tough topic to talk about, and that is the tragic death of Kobe Bryant this past Sunday and his daughter along with seven other people in a helicopter crash on their way to a travel basketball game. Um, Kobe Bryant was never my favorite basketball player. He... Was somebody I honestly, I, I it feels bad to say now, but like I hated Kobe Bryant. Like I grew up and LeBron was my guy, still is my guy. And there were all the comparisons of LeBron and Kobe, who's better. Um, and we never got to see them go against each other in NBA Finals, what everybody wanted um, to see really who was the best. I mean, they play in the regular season playing the All-Star game against each other, but they never got that finals matchup. And looking back on it now, and people have said this, and I think it's extremely true, Kobe Bryant wasn't Michael Jordan, but to a generation a little bit older than me, and he was their Michael Jordan. He was the guy. Winning the titles with Shaq, the three in the row, and then the back-to-back that he had later on in his career where he was the leader of the team, undoubtedly, with Powell and a couple other guys, Lamar Odom, um, was incredible. The influence he had on so many people, especially in the game of basketball, obviously, but 
you look across Sunday when it happened, when you had the NFL Pro Bowl and people honoring them in that and soccer stars and the tributes that they've shown um, in games, NBA games, such as the taking the eight-second violation and then the shot clock violation and even going as far like the stuff on the 2K games and stuff like that and the outpouring um, love that has been shown to Kobe Bryant at the Staples Center and on TV and everything and even on social media and Twitter. The past three days, you can't scroll your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed or Facebook feed or anything without going like two or three posts without seeing a video of Kobe Bryant or a tweet about Kobe Bryant. The uh, impact and the influence he had on so many people's lives is incredible. And looking back on some of the things he did um, on the court and then off the court, one thing that really got to me was the video that has surfaced the last day of the uh, ESPN reporter talking about how being a girl dad is, like, so great. Um, personally speaking, I've said, like, I would like a girl. Like, I want to have a girl and, like, have the whole daddy's girl type thing. All that stuff. Like, that cliche type thing. And it's... Obviously, it's... No matter what, if you have a child, it's a blessing. And you love that child no matter what. But to hear how excited Kobe was to have girls and everything along those lines. And how he got his daughter Gigi invested in the game of basketball. And how they bonded over that. And how that is something I would like, not over basketball, just... Whatever my daughter would be interested in. Hopefully sports or whatever. To have that bond with someone like that. Especially your daughter. Is incredible. And how Kobe spoke highly of her. Where she was going to carry on his legacy. With basketball. And go to UConn and everything. And to see that get cut short. At such a young age as 14. Is very uh, disheartening and hard to grasp and understand and especially Kobe Bryant being 41 um, retiring in 2015 after the 2015-2016 season and being only 41 um, you just sit there and you think Kobe Bryant was supposed to be around longer he was supposed to be an ambassador of the game for years to come and it's just it's not going to happen and it's extremely disheartening um I'm going to try now and go through and rank Kobe's top five moments of his career um, the best I can. And there's I'm going to miss some. There's going to be more that should be on this list. But to me, these are um, just some that come to my mind. Uh, number five, the Kobe doesn't flinch. In 2010... Matt Barnes and Kobe Bryant during a game were going back and forth at each other. Um, inbounding the ball, Matt Barnes threw the ball at Kobe Bryant. And he didn't throw it at him. He acted like he was going to throw it at him. And Kobe Bryant, the ball literally was in his face and did not move an inch. And to me, that is so impressive because it's a natural human reaction. Duh, you're going to flinch when something's thrown at you. Next... Number four, winning an Oscar. Um, Dear Basketball in 2018. 
He won the Oscar for Best Short Animated Film. Uh, he wrote it, narrated it himself. Uh, it was based on a poem he wrote for the Players' Tribune in 2015. And, I mean, it just talks about his love for the game and why he was stepping away from it and retiring. Um, I remember watching it when it first came out and stuff and being like, yeah, this is cool, but now it just illustrates so many cool things that it's just very cool to see and put into perspective how much that game of basketball really meant to Kobe Bryant. Then the number three, to me, I... It's the Game 7 alley-oop um, with Shaq. I wasn't... A, I was a sports fan, but I didn't, like, really watch and understand. I mean, it was in 2000. I was four years old. But, like, seeing the highlight now, um, in Game 7, after they come back against the Trailblazers, down by 15, and that alley-oop just, like, caps off the win, it's so impressive. And their the relationship those two had where they were real good friends and then they fell off and then they came back together and now it's very cool to see. Number two, I go with the 81-point game, the second most ever in a game uh, behind Will Chamberlain. Uh, Extremely impressive. And then the final Kobe moment, um, I'm leaving his last game off the list. I get that's like taboo, but to me, the 2007, 2008, when they won back-to-back um, over Boston in 2007, and then the next year when they go back and they repeat, um, it was very, it was self-affirming. like It confirmed that Kobe was one of the best basketball players of all time because there was the argument when Shaq was there, it was Shaq's team when they did the three-peat. In the early 2000s. But this in 2007-2008. When he ends up winning. And he is the definitive leader of the team. Um, Averaged 26 points in the 2007 finals. Scored 23 points in game 7. Had 15 rebounds in that game. Um, It was his team. LA was his town. And the Lakers were his team. And the NBA was his league. And that to me is why it is the number one moment for me because I remember watching it. I remember being invested. I was on and honestly I was rooting against him. I didn't want him to win because he was adding numbers of titles that LeBron had to catch up to to beat Kobe in the comparison. But looking back on it, how sweet that was probably for him to do that and say, I am the guy. I'm the reason we won this. I was the driving force behind this beautiful love that um that is going to do it for this segment and this episode number 68 of carson sack podcast um rest in peace to kobe bryant his daughter um thoughts and prayers to everyone affected by that travesty that happened on sunday um i look forward to giving you more episodes of this in the coming future Thank you for listening to Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seeing you. More than Kobe Bryant. There is no one. Kobe doing work. Too far on my shirt. He the greatest on the court. I'm the greatest on the verse. Going for the fourth.
first. 